What's on your bucket list of things to see and to witness before you die? Do you have a bucket list? Things you want to do and see? Maybe go to Paris, see the Eiffel Tower. Maybe see the Grand Canyon. What do you want to see and witness before you die? Do you want to put your feet in both oceans? Do you want to travel to a different continent? Do any of you have a bucket list of things that you want to do before you die? I knew a gentleman who took his grandson to see the Bulls game. He wanted to see uh, his grandson see Michael Jordan play. Or maybe somebody wanted to go see, I want you to have LeBron James play, one of the greatest of all times. Well, if you're a Cleveland Indians fan, you better get to the stadium before the end of the year because that's the last time you're going to see the Cleveland Indians play because next year they're going to be called what? So if you want to witness seeing the Indians play, you better get there. What is something that you want to witness or see before you die. Say, I've been there and I've done that. Do you have a bucket list? Now, on a different level, if I were to allow you to see one of the miracles of the Bible, one of the miracles of Jesus, if I could allow you or you'd be allowed to see just one event in the Bible, what would it be? And this time you get to answer. So if I said you could see one miracle, one event in the Bible, what would it be? The parting, the water, turn water into wine? Uh, the opening of the Red Sea? Anyone else? Walking on water? I'm hearing that right? In other services, somebody said they wanted to, of course, see the opening of the Red Sea. They want to see our Lord's resurrection. They want to see Christ's birth. If you could just see one event, if I allowed you to witness one event, what would it be? Would you want to see the fourth day of creation? What would you want to see? Now, more importantly, if you could witness one of these events, how would that bless or change your life? Do you think your fight, your faith, might change by seeing that? Do you think you might have a different perspective on things? Could you say, I witnessed that and I saw that. My life is very different because of that. What do you think? The Bible is filled with instances of those who didn't, couldn't, wouldn't believe even though they saw the miracles of Jesus. And hence you have the Pharisees there. And I'm going to recount to you the narrative of the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. His relatives called Jesus to come. And they said, Jesus, if you had only been here before, you might have been able to save his life. And Jesus too wept. And so finally Jesus, when he saw the misery, our Lord had compassion. Do you know what Jesus said? Lazarus, come what? Come forth. And Lazarus, after four days, came out, the non-stinky type. Now, a skeptic of that would say, well, if Jesus is really God, why do you need to say Lazarus? Because if Jesus would have went to the cemetery and said, come forth, everybody in the cemetery would have come out. Jesus narrowed it down to just Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And when Lazarus came back to life, you know what the Pharisees said? We have to kill this guy. He has too many followers. His signs are too overwhelming for us. He's getting popularity and money. We have to do away with him. There are some people, even though they saw, they wouldn't, couldn't, and didn't believe, even at the raising of Lazarus. You see, today's gospel lesson is about preconceived ideas of Jesus. And if you and I lived in Jesus' time, we might have been a little bit skeptical of Jesus because we thought that the Messiah would be a worldly leader. We thought he'd be a king that kicked the Romans out and return us to our earthly glory. And it'd be a really hard time to buy into who Jesus was because what's in our head is so preconceived about who Jesus is. So imagine the disciples. 
They saw Jesus feed the 5,000. How many loaves? And how many fish? Yeah, they saw that miracle and they had to collect 12 baskets. And then they were in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm and they said, who is he that even the wind and the waves obey? And what else did they see? They saw him walk on water and they thought he was a ghost. And even though the disciples saw all this, they still had a hard time because their preconceived ideas about Jesus we want you to be a worldly leader. We can't really see you who you are. And so Jesus knows that. And so Jesus is going to walk by them and said, if you're not even going to pay attention to me when I'm doing these wonderful signs, what is it you're about? And you know the reason. Can you read the next verse with me? Mark 6.52. Read it with me. Their hearts were hardened. Their preconceived ideas about Jesus wouldn't allow them to see who the real Jesus is. Now, they're not the only ones. You and I, at times, are caught up into preconceived ideas of Jesus. Now, I'm going to help, help you explain this to you. Um, have you ever been to Universal in California? I know probably many of us have been to Universal Studios in Florida, but that's not the real thing. The real thing is the Universal Studios in California, and I was there in the early 1980s, and that's back when they had the real props. What I'm trying to get at is I'm a TV movie kid who grew up watching stuff, and I had preconceived ideas of what I thought the lots and what I thought uh, that, the, that the studio would look like. So, matter of fact, when I was there, uh, we couldn't go to Main Street, even though dozens, if not hundreds of movies have been shot there, because Michael J. Fox was there filming Back to the What? But at Universal in California, they have the original sets. They have the original houses. Now, I know it's hard to believe, but the Munsters live next door to the Psycho Hotel, and the Psycho Hotel is next door to Leave it to Beaver. They're all right next to each other. I know it sounds really odd. And if you want to go and see where Moses part of the Red Sea in the movie The Ten Commandments, well, it's really not a sea. It's a pool about three feet deep, about 200 yards wide, and you just you go right through the middle of it, and they show how the water comes down. And it's a pretty cool place because not far from there is where Jaws terrorized people in a little pond. And that's also where McHale's Navy was filmed. And I had these preconceived ideas as a kid of how this all would be when I got there. I said, this couldn't be because I had preconceived ideas that kept me from seeing the truth of it. You see, sometimes we have preconceived ideas that we pick up about Jesus and we can't really see the real Jesus. Now, th there's been some intensive research done particularly those maybe under the age of 40 and 45. And it's called moral therapeutic deism. Now, I'm not expecting you to remember that. But I want to talk to you about how some people in America see Jesus and religion, and it's even here. And maybe, no offense, some of you might say, yeah, I, I sort of think that myself. What's moral therapeutic deism? Well, there's five ways, five preconceived ideas people have about God. Let's start. One... A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Now, many of us are saying, well, that's not that bad. Matter of fact, that's sort of good because we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in what? God the Father Almighty. Yeah, number one's not that bad, but number two gets a little more dicey. God wants people to be nice, good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible in most world religions. Yeah, that, you know, that's okay. And there's some truth in that. But the Bible wasn't written so that we'd be nice and good to each other. The Bible's a book of salvation. Now, number three gets, gets really bad. It's sort of twisted. Can you read it with me? The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, he said nothing of the sort. 
Jesus didn't go around and say, I want everyone to be happy. You happy because I'm happy? And by the way, if it's my goal in life to be happy, what's your job? To keep me what? And if your goal in life is to be happy, what's my job? Keep you happy. And if my goal in life is to be happy, then it's Jesus' job to keep me happy. There's nothing in Scripture about that. And to feel good about ourselves, when we sin and we harm others, we don't feel good about ourselves. And the problem with number three is, gets to be pretty much a self-centered society, and Jesus said nothing about the sort. It gets even worse with number four. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to what? Now, let me speak to you heart to heart as your pastor. I will minister to anybody, anywhere, anytime. So please don't think that I won't or that your previous pastors haven't or won't or anyone will. But there are some people who go through life saying, yeah, I'm a member of the church, I haven't been there for eight years, but the first time a crisis arrives in my life, guess who better show up? The pastor and the church better be there. Because God's all I need in my life when there's a what? There's a problem. When there's not a problem in my life, go away, God. So God's like a can of beans. I have a problem in my life, get God down. God fix my problem, my problem's better. I'm going to put God back in the shelf like a can of beans. There's a lot of people think that way. Now, don't be wrong. It is a joy and privilege to be able to minister to people in times of crisis. But God is our God 24-7. He is with us always. He walks with us through the good and bad times. He's our Lord and Savior, just not to fix it. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Now, we know that that's not true. We're saved by God's grace, not by our good works. But there are people, and yes, people in the church, who buy into this. This is a preconceived idea about Jesus and God, and it's not good. It's a distortion of the truth. These five are a distortion. There are preconceived ideas. There's other preconceived ideas people have. Well, maybe I'll go to church because I haven't been there in a long time. I used to go to school there. I used to go to Sunday school there. If they want to see people, I've seen them for a long time. Or, I better go and keep other people happy. It's amazing how many people come to Thanksgiving Day service because they know the rest of the day is going to be miserable if they don't go to church. You better go to church, better go to church. Yeah, I better go to church because my mother-in-law or my mother won't talk to me. If I haven't been in church, it makes for a really bad Thanksgiving dinner. Preconceived ideas about Jesus. Or well, I have duties and responsibilities. I don't want people calling me up, asking me where I've been. I just go and stay off my back. Or maybe if I go to church, good things will happen to me. My life's been sort of bad so far. I took a pay cut, and someone's mad at me, and I'm dealing with some problems. These are all preconceived ideas about Jesus. They're not good. You see, Jesus reveals himself in a very particular way. How? In his word and his sacrament. When you came into church today, God has been revealing himself. In the hymns, in the liturgy, you were asked to repent of your sins and be forgiven. You heard God revealing himself in the word, in his pulpit. And yes, we look at the baptism font where we're called, and on communion Sundays, he sticks his body and blood in his mouth. That's where God reveals himself. His word, who he is. God reveals himself through his action and works. He creates and he sustains and he forgives us. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. If you want to hear God, listen to his word. If you want to hear God out loud, read the Bible out loud and hear his word out loud. 
That's where he reveals himself. And his fellowship with his children, that never ends, no matter how small or great the faith. Very different, friends, in Christ from moral therapeutic deism. God continues to reveal himself. The essence of faith, can you read this with me? We walk by what? Faith, not by sight. See, the problem is we walk by sight, we think our life stinks, we don't think God's with us if our life's not good. But walking by faith knows even if my life's not good, God is with me. If things aren't going my way, Christ still died for me. The kingdom of heaven is mine no matter what's happening in the world around me. We walk by faith, not by sight. Go ahead, read again. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I haven't seen heaven, but I believe in it. Have you been in heaven? But you believe that you'll be there. I believe God works all things for the good even though I can't experience it now. That's the essence of faith. It's something I haven't experienced yet, but I know is there. It's going to come. And finally, read it with me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You know what that's written about? That's written about doubting Thomas. Remember what Thomas said? Our resurrected Lord appeared to him, and Thomas said, Lord, unless I touch your hands and touch your side, I will not believe. Maybe we shouldn't call him doubting Thomas. Maybe we should call him unbelieving Thomas. I've never seen the resurrected Lord, have you? Has Jesus showed up to you in a body and said, touch my hands inside? He hasn't me, hasn't you? But yet you and I, by faith, we believe because he revealed himself in his word and we believe, blessed are us who have not seen and yet what? Believed. You see, toss out the preconceived ideas and listen to the revealed Lord who is with us. Jesus calls us to be his faithful witnesses. His word in sacraments. Hopefully we all say, I came here today and I heard the word of God. Not that I was entertained or the service went fast. Hopefully we can say that my sins have been forgiven through his action and works. Has God been involved in your life? Have you shared with others, has God been involved? He helped me through a death. He's helping me through this illness. I'm going through a difficult time and God's bringing me his compassion. Have we shared that with others. I know I'm forgiven. I know heaven is my home. Be our witnesses there. And his fellowship with his children never what? Ends. Jesus is going to pass on by and the disciples waved at him and Jesus said, okay, I'm going to come over to you now now since you're paying attention to me. A couple of weeks ago, I went to go visit somebody in a nursing home. And I went to the room and they weren't there. And so I ran to a nurse and said, you know where so-and-so is? Yeah, they're over in the recreation fellowship hall area. Went over there. They're not there. Do you know where so-and-so is? Yeah, I think he's at therapy. Went over there. They're not at therapy. I asked, do you know where they're at? Yeah, I think he's over in the cafeteria. He went to the cafeteria, and guess what? He's not there. So I finally said, this isn't good. He's not in the recreation area. He's not in therapy. He's not in the dining hall. So I went back to a room, and guess what? See, that's sort of like our Lord. Our Lord keeps on after us. His fellowship with us never ends. Even though at time we have preconceived ideas about him, he's always there when we call to him. He is a resurrected, faithful Lord for us. His fellowship never ends. And Jesus said what? Read it with me. Take courage, it is I. Then he came and sat in a boat with him. Friends in Christ know, when God's word is spoken, when the sacrament is given, when you are forgiven, Jesus is with you. He's sitting by you, speaking with you. That's where he reveals himself. 
hear and believe. Be His witnesses. We have witnessed that. We're witnesses of God's goodness to us. So how about this for a closing thought? Can you read it with me? But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. As His witnesses, all God's people say, Amen. Thank you.